Throws it back and scores! Brady Weevold goes back and forth behind the net, comes out the right side and lifts the backhander up and in. Leobold writes here on Dillon. Dillon comes back with the right of his own. Here's Leobold uppercut. Another right by Leobold. Now he got another fight. Brady Leobold got the right hand pumping on Tony Mann. Up and over top. Mann trying to control him as Leobold's got that jackhammer right going. Throwing a lot off the helmet. Now Tony Mann answering. But Leobold switched to left and he got a few more in there. Welcome back to another edition of Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery. This is Brady Liebold coming at you guys from Muskoka, Ontario. Uh, if you guys are watching right now via video, this is the very first video podcast. But uh, as you guys know, uh, you can see my guest. Usually I take a minute to introduce, um, but uh, it, you know I've been promoting that. That's Darren Flurry himself right there, but we're going to get into that in a second. Uh, guys, of course, this episode is proudly brought to you again by Team Issued Limited. Guys, check it out, the Team Issued hat. This guy is a Moose Jaw Warrior alumni, Jesse Paradise, just like Theron Fleury. This is his oh. company. Yeah, check it out. It's Team Issued sweatshirt. I got Team Issued pants. Check this out, guys. We got Team Issued toques. Guys, look at this. Baby onesies. Okay, I got a little one on the way. Team <laughs> Issued. We got snapback hats. I got black ones, purple ones. I got more stuff on the way. This was just a thing. We got uh, shakers, everything. Uh, it's not my company, but listen, I played with this guy in Kelowna. Um, he's doing awesome things, and he was like my second guest, and we've you know, been doing awesome things. Jesse Paradise, check it out. Uh, teamissue.ca, use promo code TOEDRAG15 to get 15% off your total purchases. Uh, guys, Please check out the Hockey Podcast Network. A couple weeks ago, I signed on to uh, join them. Also, uh, they produce uh, Tales with TR, Terry Ryan's podcast. Uh, also have a podcast for every team in the NHL. They come out Sunday nights. Uh, again, guys, my uh, days, every Wednesday morning, every Saturday morning on the Hockey Podcast Network. Um, this morning, uh, my episode 13, or no, sorry, 14 with Chris Knuckles Nyland was released, which was great. So got to check that out. Um, what else is going on? Lots going on. Uh, my computer packed it in 10 minutes before I thought I was going on. Theo, I thought we were actually starting at 11 my time and it was 12. So thank God my computer packed it in. My girlfriend's mom, Bev, saved the day. Let me borrow her computer. Uh, we're in the Matt Lashinsky studio. Again, it's not finished. I put up a curtain. Uh, drywall was supposed to go in yesterday, guys, but I decided I'm going to get an electrician in here. Theo, you might not know this. It's an old chicken coop uh, on this property. It was filled with chicken shit and everything. And I decided to turn it into a studio. And I met this guy, Matt Thompson. Um, he, uh, he told me about a story about his friend who lost his battle with addiction, a fellow hockey player. Theo, this guy was drafted in the second round of the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. He played in the OHL, uh, struggled with addiction from an early age. And uh, he's the same age as me. He would have been 32 this past January. He, we, we lost Matty, Matt Lashinsky in uh, 2017. I never knew Matt Lashinsky, but Matt Thompson shared this story with me. Uh, and so when I originally came out to the studio, Theo, I I thought, you know what, what better way to honor this guy than to name it the Matt Lashinsky Studio. And uh, in the meantime, uh, Matt Thompson sent me some money for materials. Uh, Matt Lashinsky's sister, uh, who I also don't know, sent me some money as a donation. I've also had an anonymous donation. Uh, we're going to leave it at that. Um, guys, it's awesome. I have somebody making a plaque 
to honor Matt Lashinsky, so we're not going to forget about him. Ken Campbell of the Hockey News is writing an article that should come out next week. The very first question he had was about the studio, Matt Lashinsky, which was awesome. Uh, also, guys, check out the Seth Southwest Booster. Uh, Stephen Ma came out with an article uh, last week, or sorry, yesterday. Uh, the Sportsnet article came out last week, and uh, Stephen Mock came out with an article in the Southwest Booster yesterday. Uh, what a great article. Give it a read. Um, other than that, we're going to get right into this episode. Like I said, this is episode 15, and my guest, what an honor to have this guy. This guy was a Moose Jaw warrior. He played 274 games in the Western Hockey League. He recorded a, a whopping 201 goals, 271 assists. 472 points in 274 games. I still shake my head at that. Uh, this guy was a WHL Eastern Conference first team all-star, a world junior gold medalist, a world junior all first team all-star. This guy had the most points in the WHL in the 87-88 season with 160. Are you kidding me? Uh, he followed that up with an IHL Turner Cup champion, Chip. Uh, they actually sent him back to the IHL after, uh, after that and he started the year, but he got called up to the Calgary Flames where he was drafted by in the eighth round, 166 overall uh, due to his short stature, but sure did he prove everybody wrong. Uh, holy shit. This guy's numbers are insane. Uh, Stanley cup champion in 88, 89, obviously scored that huge goal with the, one of the best celebrations ever. Um, Canada cup champ an eight time NHL all-star and Olympic gold medalist. I mean, this guy even won the EIHL championship over in Britain and they tore it up over there. Uh, this guy's in the Alberta Hockey Hall of Fame and in my opinion should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame himself. Let's get into it. This guy's in the thousand point club. 455 goals, 633 assists, 1,088 points in 1,084 games. Theron Fleury, welcome so hockey to heroin, the road to recovery. What an honor to have you on, buddy. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, I appreciate the the long intro. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, Steele, I could have went on for, for a day with with your list. Uh, you know, um, Theo, listen, everybody knows who you are. Everybody's known who you are for a long, long time. Uh, your hockey career is outstanding. I mean, I'm a fellow hockey player. Played in the Western League, played pro, but I got all messed up real early. And uh, I don't know if you've heard any of the podcasts, but I had Sheldon Kennedy on a, a few episodes again and uh, ago. And, you know, me and him had a, a good conversation about some sh stuff that I went through. And, uh, you know, and I've been able to uh, pull myself together a little bit. And I've had five months clean and, uh, you know, shot in the dark with his podcast. And it's done, you know, it's done really well for me. Uh, you know, it started a month ago, Theo, and, you know, I was number seven on the hockey podcast on Apple uh, after the article came out, you know, so, uh, but, you know, it's very nice of these guys to come on and what an honor to have you on, Theo. I mean, I, do you have any idea how big of a fan I truly am? Listen, <laughs> I want to firstly say, Theo, that I grew up in Vancouver, so I'm not going to lie. I'm a Pavel Bure fan. Oh, I love him. But he's, he's if a, you, he's a good guy to, to follow for sure. But listen, I hated the Calgary Flames because because you guys battled whatever. But man, no, we, we hated you guys too. So that's awesome. But listen, <laughs> listen, I I was always just amazed um, at your skill, Theo. Um, you know, listen, like I could like it took me ten minutes to introduce you, and I only 
didn't even go through all of the, the things you've accomplished. And maybe the biggest one of them, uh, you know, is how you're doing today. Um, you know, me and you talked briefly over Twitter and uh, you mentioned that you've been golfing lots. Uh, did you golf this morning and what'd you shoot? Uh, I played yesterday, so. And was, what'd you shoot, Theo? I was a little rusty, so. Oh, come on, man. I shot, 80, I shot 80 yesterday, so. 80. Yeah. I've never shot 80 in my life and you don't even <laughs> want to tell me. So, listen, that's, that's awesome. Uh, Theo, well, you know, uh, it is, uh, golf is, uh, golf keeps me sane. You know, uh, I, I, I call it my meditation, my, uh, you know, my, my happy place used to be in the, in the arena. Now it's at the golf course. So, you know, I, uh, I really enjoy it. My, uh, my two boys are really good players and my dad who's 80 years old, uh, who also has, what has he got? 33 years of sobriety. Wow. That's amazing. Um, you know, we get together probably two, three times a week and we play together and that's, uh, you know, it's amazing. And, uh, you know, a lot of fun. If you don't mind me asking, where do you live these days? I'm in Calgary. You're, you're in Calgary. What a great city. Uh, you know, you're, you know, you're a celebrity pretty much everywhere you go, especially in North America. I, I mean, look at you won the Olympic gold medal. It's no secret. Wayne Gretzky, uh, what he said after that game about you and, you know, how he would handpick one person to be on that team, you and, you know, how happy he was for you to, to win the goal. Like for Wayne Gretzky to, in that moment, to take the time and, and to think of you, uh, what to reflect and let's not kid well, around. Like, <laughs> dude, sorry, Theo, like I, you're, I know why, I know why he did it because he got a lot of fucking flack from, you know, everybody that, that he picked me because I was, uh, at that time I was going through a, you know, I was, I was at the end of my sort of, uh, um, things weren't going well for me at that time mentally <laughs> and Wayne, you know, sort of stuck his neck out and, you know, made, uh, uh, wanted me on that team. And, and, uh, you know, the reason why he wanted me on that team because he hated playing against me, you know, and, uh, um, I think it was a fuck you to everybody that, that, uh, you know, said that he was crazy by picking me, but, uh, you know, and at the end of the day, I didn't want to let him down. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was probably, you know, one of the most incredible experiences, uh, you know, of my life. And, uh, and especially at that time, because, uh, uh, it was 52 years to the day, I think, that we hadn't won a gold medal at the Olympics. And so to be one of 23 guys in this whole entire country in the last 52 years to have a gold medal was, uh, you know, was pretty, pretty amazing. And uh, I really think it set the table for the 2010 team, you know, and, and the subsequent gold medals that came, you know, came after that. And, uh, you know, that team was, you know, like I played on the fourth line with Brendan Shanahan and Joe Newendike. So, <laughs> you know, you can, you, you know, the, the depth and, uh, you know, the amazing people that were, uh, you know, a part of that team, you know, Mario, uh, Stevie Y, 
Joe Sackick, you know, and then having Gretz, you know, sort of lead the charge was, uh, you know, I don't think you're going to, I don't think you're going to see a team like that ever again. No, for sure. And um, for people that don't know, uh, obviously the, those games took place in Salt Lake City. Um, so a lot of people don't know this story. And I only know this story because I, I was grinding it out in the East Coast League and they have a, they have a, they have a team or they did. Uh, yep. I've been I've been so out of hockey I feel for the last few years that I don't even know where these minor league teams are or where they are. I'm trying to catch up, but I'm pretty sure they're still there. Um, yeah. Anyways, opioids you guys, opioids will do that to you. Hey man, yeah, you're right. But uh, you guys actually had a makeshift dressing room under yeah, was... in some storage thing, and you guys all signed the wall. Now, yeah. when we were there, uh, okay. this was years later. So this was in 2008, 2009 season, maybe. I mean, we were there a couple of times, but I remember the first time we, I was there, um, you know, and every time we were there, we always went to the wall and we're seeing the signatures, but you know, and it's in a, like an old storage room and it's sort of like they're storing stuff. They had to pull stuff out because it's in the States. Like, uh, but what an incredible experience that was for me, like for our team to go there and we're like, yeah, like I wasn't there. You won the gold medal, mm -hmm. but just for us to see it. And then I remember going, uh, the Olympic Village and, and all that. And that was really my first experience uh, of being around the Olympic sort of thing. This is pre-Vancouver 2010, all that sort right. of thing. Um, <laughs> but to see those names on the wall, you're right. You guys really had an incredible team. Um, and for Gretzky to, to go on the record and say that, and for whatever reason, he obviously made the right decision. Uh, <laughs> and and you, you said that at that time you were going through a lot and, and uh, you know, there's no secret that, that you struggle and, uh, because you you wrote about it, or help, Christy McClellan Day helped you write Playing With Fire. It came out in October of 2009. That mm -hmm. book, I've read more than any book ever. Uh, it was the very first book that I read front to back, or actually the second. The very first book I read front to back was The Heroin Diaries by Nikki Six. And this was before I'd ever done Oxys, before mm -hmm. I'd ever done heroin. I actually got it at, a, at the airport at LAX wow. and on a, on a road trip. And uh, I remember I couldn't put it down. Uh, but it was shortly after that, your book, I got my hands on your book. Uh, I'm not kidding. I read it three times in, in two weeks. So I'm sure people have told you that because I just was, you know, at that time, uh, relating to a lot of the stuff. Um, and, you know, I just, I was like going back and reading it and, and the, your stories when you were playing, um, you know, and then this morning, Theo, I was watching a lot of highlight videos of you. I mean, I couldn't watch them all because again, I'd be there for three weeks you had <laughs> you, listen, you had 455 goals 633 assists it would take me forever but you know I really noticed Theo that in your you know in your younger days of your career like when you got your 500th point say um you were so excited okay you looked like you were at a happy place mm -hmm. um and then there's a clip of you and I don't know if anyone's ever talked to you about this before or whatever I'm sure they have but I haven't heard it, but I, I just wanted to really ask you about this when I saw it. Then you got your 1,000th point um, against uh, playing with the Rangers against the Dallas Stars, um, you know, and 1,000 points in the NHL. And wow, you know, not too many people get there. Uh, a huge accomplishment. The, the, the fans are going crazy. You're obviously feeling a moment. Of, you're proud. You know what you've done, but there's this, you can see it in yourself. I, I went back and watched your emotion from the 500 to the 1000. Have hey. you ever thought about that, Theo? And I obviously I know you're going through a hard time, but mm -hmm. really like, you know, like, so were you not enjoying playing hockey at that time at all? 
it was starting to get to the point where, um, you know, uh, the game wasn't fun anymore. And, you know, I see, I, I was a guy, I hated to work out. Me too. I hated practice. Yeah. Uh, but I just loved to play and compete. Right. And, uh, you know, around that time, you know, there was more emphasis on the off ice stuff, you know? And, uh, and so, well, I I often say, you know, after we won the Olympics in 2002, I probably should have retired because I was, you know, there was really no more motivation to, you know, to, to accomplish anything. And not only that, my, my mental illness, my mental health was, was not very good either. So, you know, around that time, I, I started to uh, have severe panic attacks, which was followed by severe depression, you know, and, uh, you know, there's a perception out there that my addiction took me out of the game, and that is false. Uh, what took me out of the game was I could no longer manage my mental health and my, and my, uh, my state of mind. And, uh, and so I disguised it to deal with the emotional pain and suffering that I was going through. I disguised, it was disguised as an addiction, right? And, uh, you know, I hate the word addiction because it has so much shame attached to it. And so I've changed it. I call it emotional pain management. That's ultimately what addiction is. And, uh, you know, uh, when, you know, alcohol is socially acceptable, you know, even, excuse me, even marijuana now is socially acceptable. And even during this pandemic, you know, the liquor store and the dope shop were considered essential services. Mm -hmm. So what the fuck does that tell you? Yeah. You know? And so, um, and so, you know, when I left the game, you know, wasn't too long after that, that I had a gun in my mouth. uh, And wasn't that I wanted to die. It was the fact that I was completely exhausted from living in emotional pain and suffering. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I tried everything on the planet to get rid of this emotional pain. And, uh, you know, when I realized that I couldn't pull the trigger Mm -hmm. and, you know, I sort of chose to live, well, geez, I better do something different here because, you know, what I'm doing is not working. And not only that, you know, every single person that loved and cared about me was out of my life because they were, you know, they were exhausted too, watching me and, and trying to help me and, and all of this stuff. And so, you know, it was, uh, you know, September 18th, 2005, I, that was the last day I had a drink and a drug. And, you know, I slowly but surely tried to, you know, build some sort of life. And, uh, and then, you know, obviously in 2009, I wrote that book and that book really changed my life and changed my perspective. And, 
and, uh, you know, sort of beam me into another dimension. And, uh, you know, for the last 10 years, um, you know, I've been writing books and doing speeches and teaching seminars and doing workshops and, and all of that stuff. And, and ultimately that's, you know, what's, what saved my life was that I realized that through my own experience and me finding my voice was that I could help other people do exactly the same. And not only that, I can learn from each individual that I come across, you know, and it, and it doesn't matter where they are in their process. You know, it's a great reminder of me or to me how far I've come and how hard I've worked um, to, you know, have some peace and some joy and some happiness in my life. And, uh, but, you know, not every day is, uh, you know, pink clouds, unicorns and rainbows, you know, Um, mental illness is here to stay, you know, Uh, I don't think it ever goes away. Um, But I do believe it becomes more manageable. And, and, you know, I always tell people that are new into sobriety or whatever they're dealing with that, you know, uh, I'm in therapy for the rest of my life. And I'm completely okay with that. And, you know, it's about acquiring tools, which allow me to stay sober, you know, one day at a time. And that's, you know, as basic as it gets, you know, as long as I don't pick up, as long as I don't drink, as long as I don't do drug, you know, life, life can become manageable. It can become, uh, uh, it can become good again. Yeah, no, for sure. And yeah, you're right with the mental health thing. So, you know, I, that was the biggest thing for me too, you know, and I never actually hearing you talk really actually made me realize that, you know, it's a very good way you put it. It's not, it wasn't the addiction that took you out of hockey it was the mental health. And it's the same thing for me. So like I quit when I was like 18, I quit the WHL because I was worried about my girlfriend back home. I was just having these suicidal thoughts. I couldn't manage everything. Stuff that happened when I was a kid, I just didn't know how to deal with it. Right. And yeah. um, people were always like, how, like, what's wrong with you? Like, why are you not playing hockey? It would kill to have that skill. It would kill to have this. And I mean, I was nowhere near the player you were, but still, you know, to make it the Western Hockey League or to make it in the American Hockey League, whatever, you're still a good hockey player. Better than most people, I say, in yeah, Canada. You're in, you're in the top 1% of all. Right? So, but at the same time, you just like you, I worked hard as a kid, and there's reasons why I got to where I did. But as I got went through, you know, my youth and my teenage years, I was having a really hard time. Uh, I disclosed it with Sheldon Kennedy. Um, but I thought I was gay because of what happened to me, not because I was attracted to men, but because, you know, the things that happened to me, how could I tell anybody, certainly not kids because they're so mean, um, you know, uh, what are people going to think of me? Right. And so that was really hard. And like, I don't know, I just didn't know how to manage. I tried to stuff it down. I'm sure you did the same thing. Um, but yeah, the mental health, like that's really it too. Like hearing that you found your voice, Theo. Um, I've mentioned this podcast just started just over a month ago and man, what I finally feel like I have meaning and purpose again. Um, maybe like I've never had in my life. Um, and it's incredible and it's so therapeutic and getting to talk to like you, what somebody like, 
Uh, I feel like I'm going to wake up in a jail cell. Like I tweeted at you. I feel like I've been, in, I told you I've been in jail. The, the guards are going to come crack the jail cell door and they're going to be like, ha ha, you've just been punked. Some poor man version of Ashton Kutcher is going to come out and play a joke on me. Ah, uh, it's not really Theo Fleury. Like that is the way that, you know, I just, it's so unbelievable, you know? So thank you again uh, for doing this. I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, with watching your highlights and, you know, you had so many goals and I was watching just the way you shot the puck and you know how you're as a player, you, you pick up on these things, but what a difference the, the game is now because of equipment. Um, I wanted to ask you like when you came, as you went through your career uh, using the wooden sticks and that sort of stuff, cause you I mean, I use wooden sticks as a kid and I've never asked anybody this that played pro. Um, but obviously, you know, through my junior career, the sticks got way better or whatever. Uh, and I mean, they didn't, get, they didn't get way better. You don't think they're so? They're not better. Okay. No. I, okay. So that's what I wanted to ask you. What sticks do you like better? I would prefer to play with a wooden stick. You feel the you, puck better, eh? You, you just have way more feel. And, you know, you got kids now playing with like 75 flexes, 85 flexes. And if you watch a game – and the guy's on his off wing and he's got to take a pass on his backhand nine times out of 10 never happened because the, the, the stick is so flexible. You know, I use, I used 110 flex stick yeah. when I played. And you're not very tall. So it's like a hundred and what? Like well, no, that was, I had a hundred flex. And then when I cut it down, oh, okay. it was like 110. Okay. And you know, what I found was that when I was battling for rebounds in front of the net, and guys would, you know, slash my stick, you know, because my stick was so solid, you know, I was able to, you know, find those rebounds and stuff. But, you know, I just love the feel of a wooden stick. Yeah. 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 They're, they're a little bit heavier, but you know, you just have a real, you know, way better feel for the puck, you know? And you know what I find interesting, you know, how, you, how all these YouTube videos have surfaced of kids doing all this fancy shit, you know? Yeah, I'll send you one of, my, send it, send you one of me and I'll see what you think. Well, I've noticed one thing, okay? And concussions have become very prevalent in our sport. Now, if you watch all these kids do all these drills, not once do they pick their heads up. Yeah, I was just doing that. Yeah. Head is down. So no wonder... You know, we're teaching our, we're teaching kids to, you know, uh, stick handle with their head down. Well, in our day, if you did that, you got your head taken off. Oh, absolutely. And so, you know, I find it, yeah, it's amazing some of the stuff they can do, but, you know, uh, and I don't understand why they don't do that drills with anybody like opposing them. Yeah. You know? Uh, you can stick handle in a phone booth on gravel, but then you put five other guys out in the ice and they can't do anything. Right. Yeah. You know, so it's, Theo, I, Theo, I wanted to talk about your comeback because mm. I was like the rest of Canada and the world. Like, man, I was rooting for you. I, you know, and it's funny. So uh, there's a guy that uh, his name's Dan Spence and he, uh, he's a goalie he played for the Calgary Hitmen. Uh, he was actually at that camp, main camp with you in Calgary, um, and he runs a goalie clinic now. Out okay. and actually, it's funny because 
he's from out west too and i i'm i'm, I'm in ontario now but like he messaged me he's like where are you where are you live and i told him muskoka and i said where are you living he's like aurelia well i had been living in aurelia for two years i thought i had seen him but it's like no way it could be him i mean we weren't really friends we skated together a few times whatever anyways uh, because of this COVID-19, obviously he can't do his goalie clinics, but he's been doing Zoom meetings with all the goalies and whatever. So, you know, I, I went on as a guest speaker and, and talked to the goalies, not about goalie stuff, because obviously I don't know anything about being a goalie, but, you know, just about preparing and, you know, that sort of stuff, my story. Um, but me and him got to talking and man, like he was sending me clips from you in practice, like from yeah. the train, yeah, from the, tra- from the training camp. And like, he was even in the net. He's like, look at this dirty backhand. Sauce. And you threw like the nastiest backhand sauce pass through like two guys' legs. And like, you know, the guy buries it. Um, and he's like, he said, and he wasn't even just saying that. He's like, he was the best one on the ice. He's like, the only reason that they didn't want him is because the media circus was following him around. It was a distraction. And then I was watching, this is true to you, Theo. I swear to God, I'm, if one thing I'm not, I'm not a liar. So I told you I was watching all the highlights this morning. Um, and I've obviously seen the shootout winner. Man, like I was watching that game. And I was nervous for you because I just wanted you to score so bad. You know what I mean? Like, and I can't imagine, like, it was just an exhibition game. But were you, before I say anything, I want you to tell me if you were nervous. But, um, you know, watching it this morning, Theo, and then, you know, with everything that's gone on with me and realizing that I was going to get to talk to you, I watched that. And after you scored, I fucking broke down and started crying. I swear <laughs> to God, I'm in emotional. Like I was just so like this, yeah. that was incredible. And like, I'm going to start crying again. Listen, I'm so emotional these days coming off the drugs. I'm a crier. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I can fight and it's all good, but I cry, but I'll tell you what, that move, <laughs> that move, if, uh, if like that, that's your signature move, eh? You go that little step and go to the forehand. I was watching your highlights. Mm. Those goalies don't have a chance, man. You That guy bit so hard on it. Like, how incredible was that deal? Walk <laughs> me through that. Tell me if you were nervous. Um, you know, what was that experience like? And how, how was your uh, – do well, you have a bitter taste in your mouth about it or what? The uh, – how that whole entire game played out was, like, bizarre, okay? <laughs> so – um, the game, you know, the game was back and forth, you know, yeah. and, uh, uh, for the majority of the game, I was just getting my bearings. Like, cause I hadn't played a, like a real game for fuck. I can't even remember how long it was like maybe a year. Like, and, uh, and so the game went back and forth, uh, ended up three, three tie. So we're going to overtime. And this is just when the shootouts came in, right? Yeah. Because this is not the first year the shootouts came in. I'm not so sure if it was. First or second, I think, yeah, it was, a couple. It was new. Anyways, sorry, go ahead. It was new. And uh, so anyways, we get a power play in overtime. And uh, Aginla and Ole Jokinen were on the ice. And so as the clock is winding down to zero, Ole Jokinen shoots the puck in the net. Okay, and instead of the red light coming on, the green light comes on. Okay, like right in perfect time, he shot the puck in and the green light came on. So if if that goal goes in, I don't have a shootout. There's no shootout. Okay. Yeah. So then, you know, the shootout and, uh, you know, 
anybody who's ever played for the Sutter brothers, you know, uh, I'm work, sitting work, on the work. bench and I get this fucking shoe. <clears throat> like basically I got kicked in the back and I looked around and it was, uh, it was Brent. And he says, you're going to shoot second. Right. And I was like, okay. So anyways, first two shooters go in, they both miss sets the stage. So I jump off, <laughs> jump off. <laughs> And I fucking start laughing because I'm going, how the fuck did this happen? Right. You know? And so now I'm standing on the blue line waiting for the referee to blow the whistle. And it's like, Holy fuck, I better score now, you know? And, uh, and then, you know, I picked up the pocket center ice and, and, uh, you know, did what I always did. You know, when you have that muscle memory and, you know, I was, uh, my forte was breakaways. Like I very rarely miss breakaways. So, you know, I just sort of let it happen. And, uh, you know, what was interesting was I deked that fucker out so bad. He could have flicked on the red light with the gold. You, know? <laughs> you really and, did. Uh, you really did. Look, I'm tearing up listening to you, man. I'm not even kidding. As soon as the puck awesome. went in the net, you know, that was, that was the reason why I, I made the comeback. Right. It was in that moment, everything that I had lost, you know, uh, in, in a millisecond all came back. Right. And, uh, you know, they, they could have opened up the Zamboni doors and I could have fucking skated off the ice, got in my truck and went home, you know, and, uh, you know, it was such an amazing thing. And, and then, you know, my two of my kids who'd never seen me play live, you know, we're at the game and I remember, uh, coming out after the game and, you know, people saying to me, you know, do you realize that there were grown men in the stands crying when that goal went in? And I said, you know, um, yeah, it was just unbelievable. And, and, you know, an exhibition game sold out. Like I have a scalper buddy who called me after, the game and said, you know, thanks for coming back because I made a shitload of money tonight <laughs> scalping tickets. And, and, uh, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was an amazing day an amazing time. And, uh, you know, I, and the, and the reason why I, I made the comeback originally was, you know, I didn't want to retire as a suspended player. Yeah. And so I went through the process of, uh, you know, I started in February the year before, you know, I think I was close to 130 pounds. Holy shit. You know, and, uh, you know, I worked out for nine months, you know, and, uh, and then Gary Bettman reinstated me. And the next day I was, I was at the flames camp. So it was, uh, it was pretty amazing. You were training, uh, you were training that a little bit, right? Like what? Uh... Six hours a day. Holy shit. Yeah. I know that it's, uh, sorry, I'm just uh, doing something here for my Facebook live because I deleted, uh, for everyone listening, I deleted it. Uh, so many people are commenting on it right now and (laughs) want to see what I'm doing. So, um, you know, uh, on with Theo Fleury, of course. Um, yeah, that was incredible. I mean, I was so mad. I was so pissed, Theo. I'm not going to lie. I, uh, I'm still mad um, because 
Listen, yes, it's a great story, the comeback. Uh, for you to come back and, and, you know, share your story the way you did, um, you know, you really led by example, like you inspired me and millions of people. And again, it will continue. Like, it's just long after you're gone, Theo, um, you know, you've really been, you know, one of the, uh, torchbearers for this, um, as shitty as it is for everything that's, that had to happen for whatever it set the stage and, and you've been able to overcome this. Right. And, um, you know, what an amazing story. And, but for you to, to not make the team, like forget about the story and you coming back and, you know, you had the, uh, uh, the mental health problems we'll say you don't like the word addiction. Um, and then with this, the book and everything that came out, um, put that aside for a second. And me as a hockey player, I know the game. I th like to think I know the <coughs> game fairly well. And I would follow you closely. Like you were without question good enough. And like, not just to be on the fourth line or third, like you could have been on their number one power play, probably on the second line by the end. Like, you know what I'm saying? So like, I was really, really upset. Maybe you don't want to dive into that because yes, you have a good relationship with the flames and everything. You can't really say anything, but from a pure fan perspective, a lot of people were pissed off. Um, I know they wanted you to go to Abbotsford in the American hockey league at the time. Right. Yep. Um, did you ever consider actually going or were you just like, no, were you pissed or like, do you want to talk about it or do you just want me to? Move no, on what happened it? was, what happened was I, <clears throat> I sat down with my kids after the fact, right. To, you know, see, see what they wanted me to do. And basically they all said, you know, I don't want to get on a plane anymore to come and see you play. You know, I, we want you at home. We want you to be here. And, uh, and so that was good enough for me. And, and like a month later, you know, I was on the book tour. Like a month after that happened, you know, I was on the book tour. And so, you know, the universe had a different plan for me. Right. And, uh, you know, like I said, the, the writing the book and then going on the book tour changed my life. And I realized uh, what the real reason was why I was put on this earth. And, uh, you know, I haven't stopped in almost 10 and a half years, you know. And, uh, you know, I've done 800 speeches in the last 10 years. And, uh, and so, yeah, it would have been nice to play another season, but ultimately, you know, uh, I, I found my true purpose after, you know, after that comeback and, and, uh, you know, and I always say, yeah, this stuff in the background that I have right now is nice. And it was an amazing experience, but I would trade all of that to do what I do today. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, I, you know, I've, I've found the true meaning of life and what's important. And, you know, another thing I realized was, you know, and I, I, I tweeted this out the other day, you know, is 
if you struggle with mental illness, guess what? You're in the majority, not the minority, right? And the biggest epidemic on the planet right now is not this pandemic that we're going through. It is trauma, it is mental health, and it is addiction. And all three live in the same house. And yes, we, we have the greatest awareness around mental health that, you know, this is uh, severe and they get the addiction part as well, but they forget about the catalyst, which brings us into mental health and addiction and that's trauma. And we have not created a safe space in society where I can talk about being raped 150 times by my coach. We have not created that space. And there's so many people that I've run into in the last 10 and a half years that I'm the first person they've ever told about their trauma. And, and until we create that safe space for trauma, we're going to see the numbers rise and soar. And, and not only that, we also have the highest suicide rates in the history of our planet. So why isn't all this awareness and talk and all this stuff, why isn't it being turned into action and getting people well? Well, there's still way too much stigma attached. And until we uh, acknowledge uh, as a whole entire society that trauma is a catalyst for all of this, we're, we're, we're going to be stuck in that proverbial cycle, right? And, uh, you know, to me, it's really sad and it's really unfortunate that we can't talk about this stuff because my experience is the complete opposite is when I told my story, um, you know, I got better. Simple, simple as that. And, uh, and so every day we who are advocates and activists, you know, we fight that stigma every day on social media. You know, if I say something automatically that they disagree with, you know, I've got CTE because too many concussions, you know, oh, he must be back on the drugs again. He must be drinking again. You know what I mean? It's like, it's ridiculous, you know, and anybody who follows me and sees that they're not going to talk about their stuff, you know, mm -hmm. but I don't care. You know, I, I really don't care. You know, you don't know me. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've overcome. You don't see me out on the road, you know, doing my thing. And, uh, you know, I know that I am having a significant impact, you know, every single day of my life. And, and uh, you know, so it, you know, and, and, it's funny when people talk about stigma, they have no idea what the stigma is. It's just a word to them, right? 
And, you know, I'm sure, uh, you know, now that you've put your story out there, I'm sure you're getting bombarded every day with emails and, you know, and all that. And if you're not prepared for that, you know, cause I've had, I've had a few meltdowns in the last 10 years because I just, I get overwhelmed with all of the stories and all of the trauma and all, you know, it's, uh, it's crazy. So, you know, I know the significance of, of pain, right. And how incredibly, um, how much pain there is in the world, you know, and it's not physical pain, it's emotional pain, right. And what we're going through right now is probably the most traumatic thing that's ever happened since world war II. And when this is all said and done and we try to get back to some sense of normalcy, it's even going to be bigger impact mentally. Yeah. And, and like I said, that safe space isn't there. So I'm sure that we're going to see suicide rates even climb higher because like I said, we haven't created that safe space yet in society where we can talk about, you know, we can talk about trauma. Yeah. Yeah. I know you're right. And it's, uh, you know, we're not there yet, but you know, you've obviously put, done a lot of work and um, helped a lot of people heal. And yeah, you're right. It, I have been getting a lot of emails and a lot of things and um, uh, more so people sharing their story about their addiction and that. Yeah. And I like, I love to hear it. Like I, I do, but again, yes, it's, it's been fairly fresh, but it's, uh, I can understand that it can be overwhelming. Uh, my girlfriend, I'm always on my phone. I'm always, so, you know, I'm trying to learn that balance and maybe you and I could talk off the air. Maybe, you know, you could help me learn how to do that or no. um, because well, it, the thing is, the thing is, is that, um, you can't help somebody that doesn't want help. Right. And, you know, I get a lot of those, emails mostly from the other perspective i don't get them from the addict usually i get them from the moms the dads the grandmas the aunts the uncles saying hey i got this kid going down the wrong path and the first thing i say to them i go does this person actually want help mm -hmm. right because i go if they don't want help there's nothing i can do yeah but if they do want help yeah I can absolutely 100% help them, you know, and what addicts and alcoholics are really good at is we're really good at collecting enablers because the more enablers we have, the longer our behavior can last. Okay. But eventually we make the enablers sick, right? And then they have to go look after themselves which then leaves us completely alone and left to our own defenses. And that's what usually brings us into sobriety is when we have no more enablers. And I would say the majority of people want to live, but they don't know how to live. Right. And so then we start to seek out help in whichever form and whichever way that looks like. Right. And, and, 
unless we do it for ourselves, we're never going to lick this thing. You know, it's the beginning of my, I always say it took me 10 years to get one day of sobriety because the first treatment center I went to save my job. The second one I went to save my marriage. The third one, you know, was, and it was never about me. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, September 18th, 2005 was when I surrendered and said, I can't do this by myself anymore. And, you know, I always say the day I asked for help was the day I saved my own life because I allowed other people in to my life and told them exactly what happened. And from that became, uh, came compassion and empathy and understanding and love. And those were the things that I didn't have at the beginning when I was struggling. Right. And, and so, you know, that surrender part was such a huge moment for me because, you know, the very next day I woke up and I felt completely different and I haven't looked back since, you know, and, you know, and it's really a three-step process. It's, I need to, I needed to heal physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And the only way I could do that was take a look at myself and for the first time in my life, I had, a I had to have a relationship with myself because I just ran away, right? I ran away from myself. I couldn't be alone, you know? Um, I was always scared. I was always fearful, you know? And it was, there was no way to live, right? There was no way to live. And, and I had to uh, allow other people to come into my life to help me get to where I wanted to go, right? Because, you know, I always say, left to my own defenses, left to me running my own life is the biggest shit show on the planet, right? And when I surrendered, let go and let other people help me, you know, I think I got, hang on, I can tell you right now, I have this app on my phone. Oh, yeah? yeah. I've, uh, I've actually... Uh decided i haven't put down my uh my clean data and i'll be honest uh I'm there's so many days i got holy 5343 days clean and sober congratulations that's amazing theo you know and it's uh it's not easy is it so uh i have a you know i'm pretty close with brent sopel now he was on too and uh so basically it's been like five months i would say i've been off the hard drugs uh, i don't drink or whatever but um, I'm, you know, I smoke a little bit of pot. Uh, that was just because I was white knuckling. I'll be honest. I wasn't even focused on what my recovery looked like. I was just in the middle of nowhere in Muskoka, um, with no access to anything and just doing my best to whatever. And this podcast came up. Um, and now finally, for the first time I'm, you know, being like, okay, so yes, yeah, CBD might help with my concussions. Yes. It's a medical thing for me, but at the same time, um, it's a mind altering thing. And now I'm starting to look at it like a recovery program. So like, uh, what kind of advice do you have for people that might be struggling or maybe recently clean? Um, 
every, everyone's different, of course, and uh, you have to do it by case-by-case -case basis. But I know you golf. Um, as far as uh, meetings and, and therapy, is that something that's, a, if you don't mind ask, me asking, uh, something that's a, like a big part of your life these days? Well, I got sober in AA, right? And, uh, you know, about five years into my sobriety, I was like, I, I kind of hit a wall. And I was like, if this is what sobriety is, then I don't want any part of it. And then I realized the first three steps were about a spiritual program. And so for the last, what, nine years, I've been on a spiritual journey and, you know, uh, exploring that. So, you know, Buddhism, Aboriginal spirituality, uh, prayer, meditation, you know, I've tried everything. Because what I was told in the program was that I get to pick my own God. Right? And, and so I have a pretty good understanding and a pretty good definition of what, you know, my God looks like. Right? And that could be Allah, Buddha, Jehovah. It doesn't fucking matter to me. You know? As long as you believe in something greater than yourself whatever that looks like to you. And once I, I grasped onto that concept, you know, uh, a certain calmness, a certain peacefulness uh, came over me, right? And it's usually the first question I ask addicts and alcoholics all the time. I always say to them, where, where are you at with your spirituality? Because it's the last thing in the equation that we leave out. Because we're either pissed off at God or have a resentment towards God or whatever it is. And, you know, when we, you know, surrender to the fact that, you know, it's up to us to go out and find our own peace, our own happiness, our own joy. You know, that's, that's to, to me what spirituality is all about. And at the end of the day, spirituality is all about relationship. Hmm. And the relationship I have with myself first first because if i don't have a great relationship with myself guess what how do you think all my other relationships are going to be the same right but if i love myself and i take care of myself and all those things like my life's pretty good you know yeah well you've uh there's, there, there's a lot less drama in my life right oh, i can imagine. I, live a, I live a very drama free life and anybody that brings drama into my space you know, I have boundaries, you know, and uh, I, have, I have great friends, you know, I have a, a great wife, great relationship, you know, I'm rebuilding my relationship with my kids. That's awesome. You know? And so, you know, it's, it's, it's that, you know, the emotional, the physical and the spiritual part, you know, and those are the three things that, you know, need the most healing. And when you take a look at those three things, you know, the world sort of opens up for you and you become, you know, you become a new person. You become reborn, right? Where you don't need drugs and alcohol and sex and gambling and, you know, all this bullshit to sort of numb out from the emotional pain. You know, it's about feeling. 
it's about feeling for the first time in our lives, feeling sadness and feeling anger and feeling happy and all those things because, you know, we spent our whole entire lives running away from those feelings. You know, and like I said, every day is not pink clouds, rainbows and unicorns, you know, it's, uh, it's part of life. And when you embrace, uh, you know, the dark times, they, they become less and less uh, of repeating themselves. And, you know, we learn more from pain and suffering than anything else, right? Pain is the great motivator. Mm-hmm. Pain, is, pain is what gets us to change, right? And I always say to people, are you sick and tired? Have you had enough? Have you had enough? <laughs> you know, when you, get those, when you get those newcomers in, you know, and their, their eyes are still glossy and fucking, you know, they can't sit still and, you know, they're nervous and all that. And I said, just say to them, you had enough? Mm-hmm. Like uncle. Yeah. I always, <laughs> that's funny. I always say that too. That's one of my favorite sayings. Like fuck, yeah. tap, tap, say uncle, you know, like it's, yeah. uh, it's kind of where I'm at, you know, like I, uh, you might not know that much about my story, but like, man, in the last 10 years I've been, well, in the last, let's say five years, I spent three years in jail. So, um, and never could imagine that been my life. I was homeless on Hastings, uh, in Vancouver for like seven months, like insanity. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I grew yeah. up, you know, it's just, this is where it's, uh, this is where these places take us. And it's just, uh, it's extremely, it's extremely difficult, but you know, you're one of the main people that are giving me hope and, uh, you know, just being able to watch you share your story and just how powerful and motivating it's been to me. And, uh, just to see that you've been able to change your life, Theo, and you look so happy. Like, again, I talked earlier about, um, you know, the difference in your 500th point versus your thousand point, obviously you're at two different standpoints in your life. But now talking to you, I can see you're like, you know, you're, it's no secret. You're probably more loose and relaxed and happy than you ever have been in your whole life, but it's taken work. Right? How much yeah. work? you got to do the work. You know, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, recovery is not for everybody, <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not for everybody, you know, but, uh, it's, and ultimately it's just one day at a time. That's it. Right. Uh, they say, if you think about the past, <clears throat> that's depression. If you think about the future, that's anxiety. <laughs> so, Living 24 hours out a day is way more manageable than thinking about my past and thinking about the future, right? Oh, which absolutely. is hard, which is hard to do. You know, I haven't mastered it yet, you know, and that's why I always say I'm in therapy for the rest of my life. And I'm completely okay with that, right? Well, because there is no magic pill out there because I tried them all, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, you know, it's just trying to live my best life one day at a time and realizing that I will never uh, get to perfection. And that's okay too, right? Yeah, absolutely. There's nobody, there's nobody who's perfect. No. The last perfect guy, they hung him from a cross and they killed him. That's right. Right? Um, so, you know, so you know. it's... <clears throat> 
true. And, uh, you know, I actually, it's, uh, you know, not everybody is, uh, everyone's entitled to their own uh, religious beliefs, spiritual beliefs. Um, I haven't talked too much about that on the podcast, but uh, I really did some soul searching this last time I was in jail. And, uh, you know, I read the Bible for the first time, not the whole thing, but the most of it was reading with a chaplain. We had a team chaplain. I always went to the, I don't know, you must have had that as you played too. But uh, for people that don't know, when you're playing the Western Hockey League, playing pro teams have chaplain, it's optional. You can go and um, have a little service, which is really nice. Um, but yeah, connecting with a higher power is so important. Um, I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but so for people that uh, have a hard time believing in God, um, which I don't, and I have no problem saying, you know, I have a God of my own understanding and that's fine. But for people that have a hard time understanding that, I heard uh, somebody saying, uh, God, you can use the acronym, uh, G-O-D, group of drunks or group of druggies. Or, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the group is more powerful than you, right? So God, group of drunks or group of druggies. Uh, so I always like that. Um, it's, you know, if you don't like the, the God thing, use that. Because um, look, uh, you know, meeting and sharing stories is so powerful, so helpful. Um, a lot of people might not know this. I mean, maybe just because I was so messed up or whatever. Um, but you were actually diagnosed with Crohn's disease in 95. You've raised over a million dollars through different uh, charities and fundraisers. Um, but I think one time you actually, uh, if you went on like, a, I don't know if they have like a baseball DB, but uh, you actually are a professional baseball player, Theo. <laughs> yeah and you hit single what was that like that was amazing like i was a better baseball player i was a hockey player so that's funny you say that i say that i've said that too but i quit because uh in in whatever mosquito pitching machine i remember i tried to throw a guy out to first he wasn't paying attention playing in the sand i beamed him in the head and i was so competitive that i was so pissed i'm like that's it i quit i'm never going back um but you suited up uh, for the calgary vipers um you know you got a hit. Uh, you played a couple of games. Uh, you know, uh, that must have been really cool. Yeah, it was fun. It was so much fun. Those yeah. guys those guys got the best life ever, man. You get to spend eight hours a day outside shagging balls. And, yeah, it's it was awesome. Love yeah, I, I love tracking. I love playing the field. I love tracking down balls. It's one of my favorite things in the whole world is, is playing the field. I love ball everything about baseball, but I had no idea that you actually um, are, you know, Theo Fleury, man of uh, many talents. He's actually, uh, he's a, one of the best hockey players ever in my mind. His numbers speak for himself. Um, he's a professional ba- baseball player, but do you guys know that Theo, Theo Fleury is also a musician? Uh, <laughs> he came out, uh, no, this is not a joke. He's actually good too. I am who I am. Um, you know, an album, I think it's called, what is it? My Life's Been a Country Song. The song, uh, you were also featured in Madden 2018, the story mode, uh, one of your songs for that, which I'm familiar with. That's really cool, Theo. Like, yeah. you know, I know you're a huge country music fan. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I want to know a little bit about more about your country music career. If you're still doing it, still singing, maybe you can tell people where they can listen to it. But yeah. what I do want to know too, um, and this is coming my, from my producer, Tyler Bremner, who this is our very first production together. He's messaging me. Um, I've mentioned that my favorite part about hockey is playing in the warm-up, uh, listening to music. He wants to know uh, what your favorite warm-up songs are, what kind of music you listen to. I know you're into the country, but yeah, tell us a little bit about your country music career, yeah. where you where we can listen to it, and uh, what kind of music you like. Well, I grew up around country music, so uh, my family uh, as a whole, um, my grandpa had 106 grandchildren when he passed away. 
That's Holy. how big our family is. And uh, like I said, we grew up around music. My grandpa was a fiddle player. My dad was an entertainer. My uncle was an entertainer. Um, you know, as a kid, me and my two brothers and my dad would go to all these talent shows all over the place and we'd sing and, and all that. And so um, I always had a karaoke machine in my house everywhere, <laughs> everywhere I lived. Um, and, you know, after I wrote the book, you know, I was like, geez, you know, if I can write books, you know, maybe I can write music. And so I had a couple buddies uh, in the music industry and got together with the two of them and we started writing and, uh, you know, started real like producing this really cool, uh, this really cool sound, really cool lyrics. And, and basically the first album is just basically my story in music. And, you know, it was very, very cathartic. Uh, therapeutic to you know to do this album and uh, yeah we we perform every once in a while but it was more you know just getting together with my buddies and you know being creative and you know having a few laughs you know it was, it's it's kind of like being in the dressing room almost you know when you get together and write a song guys are lipping off and fucking you know all this shit and you know and then all of a sudden you you end up with a song, you know? <laughs> and so, That's yeah, it's been, it's been awesome. Um, we're just in the process of writing the second album because it was hard for us to get gigs because we could only play for 45 minutes because that's how many songs we had, right? Yeah. And if you want to be a full-time touring band, you got to be able to at least pump out two hours of entertainment. And so, you know, that's what we're working on right now. We're working on the second album. That's and, awesome. Uh, where can you, where can you listen to it? Well, it's, it's, it's everywhere. It's on iTunes. It's on Spotify. Uh, it's all on YouTube. Uh, I have a couple videos on YouTube. Yeah. I'll post a, I'll post all the links. I'll track them down and, and post them. And, on uh, the long shot thing was like bizarre with the Madden football thing was, I go to Mario Lemieux's fantasy camp in Pittsburgh every year to help him out with his charity. Oh, shit. Sorry. Excuse me. And so the first year I went to his camp, I was sitting beside this, this kid. And, uh, you know, I said to him, I said, uh, I said, where are you from? He said, I'm from St. Louis. And I have one NHL record. Okay. I scored three shorthanded goals in one game. It's not me. I scored three shorthanded goals in one game in St. Louis. And this guy I was sitting beside, he said, yeah, I want you to know that I was 10 years old and I was sitting in the stands the night you had this record. And I said to him, I said, well, what do you do for a living? He said, I build the Madden football game. And I was like, wow, that's fucking cool. <laughs> And so we became buddies and uh, I don't know, a couple years after the camp, I got a text from him saying, Hey, I've been listening to your music. He goes, I really love it. He goes, would you write a song for the Madden football game? And I was like, uh, yeah, that'd be great. So he sent us the parameters of what he wanted in the song. And we went into the studio and 45 minutes later, we, we wrote this song called long shot. 
and uh, it's on the Madden football game uh, 2018. So pretty cool stuff. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Uh, I really had no idea um, that you uh, were doing music until I was playing the game, and uh, I was like, "What? I'm like, what the hell?" You know what I mean? It was, uh, you know, I was obviously in a, in a bad mindset, but I was like, you know, and it's it's really good, guys. So check it out. I, I mean, I love country music too. I like all kinds of music. Uh, what what kind of What's your favorite warm-up song? What, if you're going to play hockey and you got to choose the music for warm-ups, what are you? What's Darren Blurry putting on? I don't know. The old Montreal Forum had the best tunes, and it was all techno shit at that time. You know, yeah. stuff that would really get you get you going. Yeah. And obviously, playing in the Montreal Forum, you're you're playing in the Vatican of hockey, basically. You know, so. You know, that, that was fun. I, I used to, I enjoyed techno and, and warm up, you know, so, but, uh, <clears throat> but I'm a country music guy at heart. I love, I love all the old stuff, you know, Willie, Whalen, yeah. you know, Buck Owens, Charlie Pride, you know, all these guys. So that's, yeah, what, I grew I grew up, that's what I grew up listening to. Yeah, right? me too with my, my old man, uh, my old man, I guess his dad played it for him or whatever i grew up uh listening to all that stuff too on these long road trips and yeah. uh it's almost sad now if you like you, you, all these kids and everywhere people, right, right. they're on uh they're on um you know their phones and you know the road trips with their parents they're not listening to the same music they're on whatever i remember going on road trips listening to my dad and telling him about the old music and it just i, I don't know i sort of miss that about about the world but um yeah, it's it's really incredible, Theo. You've done so much in your life, eh? Like it's uh, if you can, you know, you said your biggest accomplishment or you know doing the speaking and uh, sharing your story has been your biggest thing. But what what's the coolest hockey moment that you have? I mean, everybody talks about that big goal you scored in Calgary and what a celebration that was. You're just a kid, eh? Like I watched the interviews after, and like after you guys won the cup. When was the last time you went back and watched the interview after you winning the cup? Because that is a great interview. What a great interview. You're just a kid and you're like, you know, we're world champs. You can't take it away. I love everybody in here. And you know what I mean? And that's really, I think when I noticed after you got your thousand point, I was like, wow, it's really sad to see, like, to understand, you know, I can kind of understand a little bit of what you've gone through uh, and relate to you and not a hundred percent, but in some way and just to, when I really think back and I, I see like, you know, there's, you know, it's in your book, you failed something like 13 drug tests and they kept letting you play because you're leading the league in scoring. Like that's how good you were. Like that is mind boggling to me. Like it makes you laugh and it's funny now, but like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, it's crazy. I, I can't single out one specific moment, you know, um, cause there's been so many, you know, um, I, I always say the fact that I wasn't supposed to play one game in the national hockey league. Mm -hmm. And basically I, I got picked in the 20th round of the draft because the first year I was eligible, I didn't get picked, you know, and then the next year, uh, you know, I got picked in the eighth round, 166 overall. Right. And, and so I got to do something for 15 years that I absolutely love to do uh, when everybody said that it wasn't possible, that it couldn't be done, you know, and I got to play with the greatest players in the history of the game, 
you know, and yeah. So how and, and, and I'm looking me, at your and, numbers, Theo. Sorry to cut me, you off. I'm sorry to cut you no. off. Listen to this. Like the game has changed. If you were, if it was now, you would have went first overall. I swear to God. Like you didn't get drafted. You had 108 points as a 17 year old and didn't get drafted. Yeah. A what? Wild. Not 129 when the eighth round. Why? Because you're five six. But you play like you're six foot five. Like I didn't understand. Like these scouts are so out to lunch back in the day. Like you, you must have just. You must have known though. Like you know, you must have known you know that we're gonna be like, putting up numbers like this. The hockey news uh, one time picked the top ten power forwards in the game in my era, and I was number seven. At five foot six, 150 pounds. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? It's it's true though. You were I, you played with your you had so many penalty minutes too. You had you almost had two thousand penalty minutes in the NHL. You had 18, 1,840 minutes in penalty yeah. minutes. So I mean, think about how many games you sat in the box. Like I always do the math with my penalty minutes. It's like, man, I would have got more points if I wasn't sitting in the box so much. Yeah. But um, you know, but you I had to, I had to play that way. Yeah. In order to. You know, because when you're five foot six, how do you get room out on the ice, right? And if you're easily intimidated, that that room that you do have all of a sudden shrinks even less, right? Hey, Theo, were you scared at all, though? You don't look scared. You weren't, like, you know, because some people play the role or whatever, maybe just because you knew you were small, you had to. But, man, you were fearless, eh? Like, Yeah, I would, I, I would cut your eye out and wouldn't bother me one bit. Yeah. Because yeah. they were trying, they were trying to do the same to me. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I was really good with my stick, very yeah. good with, you know, and it, it was the great equalizer, right? You know, if you're going to hit me, you're coming through my stick, or you're going to get a, an elbow or something, right? Yeah. And what I realized was, seventy-five percent of the guys that played in the NHL were bluffers. Mm-hmm. They weren't tough, nope. right? And, you know, I was a severely angry dude and I didn't care. Yeah. Right. And when you, when you're like that, those bluffers, they don't want any part of you. No, I know exactly how it is, man. And I was willing to die in order to win. Mm -hmm. And if the guy that I was playing against didn't have that same attitude, I could take him anywhere out on the ice and do whatever I wanted to them. Mm-hmm. But the guys who competed at the highest level, that's when it got really fun. You know, oh, yeah. against guys yeah. like Chelios and Scott Stevens and Bukaboom and Smith and Edmonton, you know, it was, you know, it was fun to compete against those guys because they, they ultimately forced me to be a better player. Yeah. Because if I didn't meet that competitiveness, I would have never had the career that I had. What a career you had, though, Theo. Like, crazy, man. Like, yeah, I'm watching these highlights, man. Like, I don't fun. wish. But, but I ask, me, ask me what it's like to get out of bed every morning now that I'm 52 years old. It's not much fun. Yeah, well, you, yeah, you're probably paying for it now. Um, what do you think of the game these days in comparison? There was a lot more. I mean, you probably would have had even more points because there was way more clutching and grabbing. I would have had, had 3,000 penalty minutes playing in this game. 
<laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. You know, I always people always say to me all the time, you know, can you imagine if you played in this era? I'm like, no, I loved the era that I played in. Yeah. No, I, I, I love that. What's hilarious is that, you know, when uh, Austin Matthews or uh, uh, Connor McDavid comes along, people are just losing their shit. I go, well, every team when I was playing had a Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews, maybe two or three of them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah, there really was. It was the era of the superstar uh, when you were playing. And that's the era that I got to grow up watching. And, and that's the biggest difference in the game is the salary cap has come in. And, you know, your top guys get all the money. And then the next nine guys are all the same. Mm-hmm. They're all the same. And, they're, and because coaches make as much money as the players – those nine guys on the bottom of your roster, they don't get to be creative. They don't get to play one. They don't get to do one-on-one stuff. You know, it's a very, it's a, it's like they're playing Xbox with these guys almost. Right. I agree. Like (laughs) I can only imagine if a coach handed me a fucking iPad on the bench after a shift, I fucking smash that thing into a thousand fucking pieces. Yeah. (laughs) You know, (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's like fuck off you know like we could watch it after the I, game i know that i made a mistake yeah but i'll tell you i'm the only guy on this bench who can make up for that mistake yeah right so i don't need to fucking see it yeah like if anything doesn't that make you it would fuck with my mindset like i don't need to see my mistake again i want, I want to move on and think about positive things i'm not trying to reinforce my mistake yeah. you know what i mean like would you ever go into coaching how many coaches are on the bench now? There's like four or five coaches on the bench. And six trainers and fucking everybody else. Um, would you ever coach? Uh, I don't know. I've thought about it a few times, you know. But I would expect everybody to play the same way that I played, and that wouldn't be good. So, yeah. And I, don't, I don't really relate to the kids nowadays, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, you almost got to kiss their ass to get them to play. Yeah. No, I, I understand that. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I'd be able to handle that, you know? Yeah. But no, it's, it's a totally different world, isn't it? But I am doing coaching now. I'm life coaching, which is yeah. probably has a bigger impact than, you know. But, you know, I do miss the game. I miss competing. That's, that's you know. Yeah, well, if I ever come to Calgary, I'm going to have to – Play, come play golf with you. you can kick my ass it won't be much competing but uh <laughs> i'll have to work on my game uh theo listen i could sit here and shoot the shit with you all day but i'm sure you're busy um i listen there this is crazy i still feel like i'm gonna wake up from a dream uh <laughs> what a thrill man i am such a huge fan of the way you played the game, uh, you probably don't know anything about the way I play, but I was like voted the most hated player in the WHL. I okay. used to do this. I used to buy the players. I used to do the same shit. I used to go by the bench and be like, yeah, if you touch so-and-so, I'll step on your throat. I don't care if I ever play hockey again. I don't even like playing hockey. I just don't know what else to do. They'd be like, yo, calm down. It's just a game. And I'd be like, is it, you know, like that was the way I was. And, uh, I was just, I, I was a lot like you on the ice. Um, nowhere near the skill of course but 
um, Theo, what a pleasure, man. And it was a pleasure to get to, I grow up, like got to grow up and watch you play. Um, you know, got to watch you on Rock'em Sock'em and all those highlight videos and you were all over it. So, you know, what a, this is such an honor, man. Thank you for having the strength and the courage to come out like you did. And you wrote that book and it's life changing for me and so many people. Uh, you continue to do so much great work, Theo. And, you know, I, I'll tell you what, man, I almost fell off my fucking bed when you tweeted back at me. Um, you know, so listen, you really, you know, it's been a really rough go, man. I can imagine. There's been a lot of bright lights. There haven't been lights in the, in the past few years. Uh, or even, you know, in the past few months, let's say. Um, but, you know, I got another baby on the way. I'm working on my relationship with my kids that I haven't seen in a few years. Hopefully I'll get to talk to them soon. Um, and Theo, you know, of course, thank you for coming on the podcast. And it's great. You know, people are listening. Um, but thank you for talking with me. Um, you know, awesome. Uh, I can't say enough. Uh, guys, make sure you check out his music. Uh, you know, keep up to date with what he's doing. I know you're always doing speeches and you're all over the place. You're a busy guy. Um, do you have a clothing line still or what's going on with that? Oh, the clothing line's done. Okay. All right. It's a I'm, tough actually, I'm, get, I'm actually getting into the sunglass business. Oh, my, one of my favorite things. Well, when you do, let me know. I'll, yeah, be, I'll be sure to, uh, to, to get on now. And, uh, you know, you don't need my help promoting your brand. You're Theo fucking flurry for Christ's sake, but um, you know I still would love to do whatever I can to get it out there for you if I could even help in any small way, man. I'm actually uh, I'm actually in the process of designing an online course too that'll be ready probably by the end of this month too. Awesome. Yeah, um, to help people overcome their trauma. That is great, and uh, listen, as soon as that's available, I'd love to take part in that. Mm-hmm. Um, sign up, whatever, uh, is more, you know. more importantly, I know you're new in sobriety and if you ever need somebody to talk to you, just reach out and you know, I'll be there. Okay. Theo, man, listen, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for taking the time away from your family for doing this. Uh, you know, I wish you all the best and listen, uh, I hope you mean what you said there. Cause if I text you, you know, uh, <laughs> I might now, uh, I've been having a couple meltdowns. So I listen, I appreciate it. Um, you've been a huge, I've done it all. I've seen it all. It's, i it's all there. So, okay. My friend, listen, thanks again. Tell me something that I haven't gone through. So, (laughs) okay. Theo Fleury, everyone. Thank you so much, Theo. Take care my friend. All right, dude. And you know what? I've hit more rock bottoms in sobriety than I ever did drinking. So, well, yeah, no, thank you for sharing and uh, just being yourself, man. And I can see that you're happy. And what, what you know, it was hard for me to watch that today. Uh, you know, you got the thousand point. That's really stuck with me throughout this whole day. And uh, now to see you on the other end here and laughing. And I just could see, you know, what it's great to see, Theo, that you turn it around and uh, that we're both on the right track. What, what a thrill this has been. So thank you so much, Theo. Uh, looking forward to uh, talking to you soon and hopefully playing golf with you one day. Sounds great. Love okay, to. Okay, Theo. Okay, bud. Take care. Thanks.